0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM.
1: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania
0: Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio. Welcome to Leadership in Action, SiriusXM's business radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Mike Yusim, director of the Center for Leadership and Change. I'm faculty director for the McNulty program. And I'm flying solo today without my friends and co-hosts, Ann Greenhall and Jeff Klein. They are elsewhere today. Uh, And before we get going, I want to remind everybody that new episodes of our show premiere every Friday at 9 AM, remember that date and time, Eastern, here on Business Radio, Sirius XM channel 132. And today, we're going to be talking about a company that's played a pivotal role in modernizing the book business and one that's taken a leadership role in helping the published industry survive the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, His name is uh, John Ingram, and John, welcome to our program.
1: Thank you, Mike. Nice to be here.
0: Well, really great to have you here. It's uh, very timely that you're with us. And uh, John, I'm going to get you going uh, with just a a few words, if you wouldn't mind, on the business. And then we're going to talk about you. But uh, I certainly know uh, Ingram for I've known about your company for many, many years. Uh, Many of our listeners will not be so familiar with it. Uh, It's partly a B2B, more than B2C uh, kind of business. So just uh, give us a a descriptor of um, Ingram the business.
1: I'm happy to do that. Uh, we we call it Ingram Content Group, and there are a number of companies and and services underneath it. But broadly speaking, what Ingram is is a a, a group of of sort of, of both physical and digital services. I mean, starting with um, physical distribution of of books. I mean, that's really kind of the legacy piece. But you know, we've added to it. We created a very robust print on demand. Business in the in in the '90s, um, something I started, and we've now got you know probably 14, 15 million books that we've digitized, and we made over 60 million books last year, um, which in in the printing world maybe so what, except that the run length, or the average number of the same book we made at any one time, was about two, so it's really mm. mass customization, and and then in the in the you know probably two thousand five or six we 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 really started investing in digital services and and um, and you know have a kind of a whole group of that so you know I mean, people people outside of the the publishing world don't know Ingram because they don't need to but um, but we're a lot of the infrastructure that kind of underpins the the publishing industry and makes it run. Uh,
0: great so. Ingram Content Group—it's uh, very different from what it was when you first joined the business. But let's take it back to when you joined the business, and um, well, maybe the obvious question is, what brought you into the business? Um, it's a family business, of course, but uh, what 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 turned the turned the key for you to enter into the business?
1: Well, it probably started when I realized I wasn't going to be a professional athlete, right? You know, I mean, you know,
0: <laughs> we all come worked, to realize that.
1: Yeah, that that probably wasn't going to work out. Um, and you know, I, I worked in the business growing up in the summertime and whatnot. And and you know, I, I mean, part of me really thought I would probably always end up there. Um, but um, you know, I, I was really able to kind of chart my own pathway in 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 different parts of it, and and you know, kind of. Challenge myself, and as 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 I went along, and and um, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's nicer to be able to pack your own briefcase and attend the meeting than be packing somebody, you know, spend a hundred hours a week packing somebody else's and <laughs> send them off, and you you're back in the in the back somewhere. Yeah,
0: yeah, well put. Uh, was there a little persuading that went on where you were thinking about uh, if not uh, major league baseball or soccer? You were thinking about making films in Hollywood or or whatever, or spending. No, the not year a, year not, year.
1: A, not not back in you know. I, I graduated from Vanderbilt Business School in 1986, so so um, you know, I did I did think long and hard about going to work somewhere else um, before I came back to the family business, if you will, and and yeah. and, and the, the phrase I u- just used about you know, I, I kind of decided I had an opportunity to you know, to pack my own briefcase and attend and be, you know, a player in the business um, as I learned and, and grew. And, and that just seemed a whole lot more appealing than, than going and, and, you know, being a low man on the totem pole and work ungodly amount of hours in an okay. investment bank or consulting company and, 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 you know, never see the inside of a, of a, you know, of a of a, of a business situation that they were working on.
0: So I'm going to make a guess, John, that in your own career development, your family insisted that you learn the ropes from the bottom up.
1: Yeah, well, no, I mean, my my father, my father had a, um, I'll never forget, I've got an older brother, that's a year older than me, and a younger brother, that's a year and a half younger than me. And, you know, when we were probably 14, 13, 14 years old, 15, something like that he sat us down and basically said, all right, boys, uh, you know, I just want you to know half of the summer's mine and half is yours. And you're going to go do, do these various things and then I'll support you and the sports or the other things that you want to do for the rest of the summer. And, you know, my first job at age 13 or 14 was packing books in the warehouse. From the bottom up. The very bottom.
0: And then, uh, I'm going to, make an inference here from talking with people who have had similar kind of itineraries. Uh, So their family ran a business, they sometimes avoided it for a couple of years, but uh, like the prodigal son, they returned, uh, but not given a lot of quarter. And that is you really did have to learn how to pack books and quite a few other intermediate steps along the way. So what were some of those intermediate steps after you got those boxes packed?
1: Well, I mean, there were a lot of summer. I mean, there were a lot of summer jobs of of various and sundry things. But I mean, you know, my first my first real role was as assistant to the treasurer, and 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 our treasury department was kind of the one area the company saw everything that was going on, and was like <laughs> more like being an in in the internal investment banking side, investment and commercial banking side. And then I then I uh, did that for a couple of years, and then you know. Um, I said I wanted to try to go run things to see if I could do that. And you know, one day my father called me up and and said, "Okay, um, one of the little book companies it was run by, by it had been run by this guy for 40 plus years. I mean, you know, he, he said he, he finally decided he wants to retire, and and you go out there and run it." And I remember showing up out there, and nothing was written down. Terrible computer systems kind of hung on the back of our. You know our bigger wholesale business, sort of, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, you know, what am I going to do? You know, this guy who's been in charge, I mean, he kind of knows it's the second Tuesday in the third week of May, and you do X, Y, Z, and I'm, I'm thinking, I got no idea how to, how to do that, and, and you know, I did, I did two smart things, one is I hired him to be a consultant, and his name is Herschel, um, and I said, Herschel, will you come back like one day a week and just, you know, spend a half a day with me and make sure I'm not driving the train off the tracks, you know, and and then the second thing is I hired a guy, uh, a systems integrator, uh, a guy to come in and to help me put in a whole, a whole brand new computer system, and miraculously, all of a sudden, you know, when that was in, we had information we'd never seen before, and, you know, I mean the you know the business did did better than ever and then i then i moved to california um to go to work um you know in our in our microcomputer business you know i went from being president of a little book division to a director of purchasing but you know i i, I spent a couple of years learning about the business had the chance to to move to europe and 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 work over there and and that was actually the hardest thing i ever did cuz that it was growing like crazy and You know, things were kind of out of control and, you know, you know, all my colleagues in the U.S. were like going, what in the world are you doing? Can't you guys manage this thing and pull it together? And I'm like going, you know, and it's midnight because they're in California, you know, and I'm I'm not getting any rest. And they're, you know, beating the stew out of all of us. And it was it was very eye opening. Um, And and that's kind of the early part of the career before I uh, my father got sick and I moved back and joined joined the book business.
0: All right, let's uh, stay on this for a few more minutes. I I find it uh, really just fascinating, and I hope the same reaction is out there among some of our listeners, who may be on a course akin to you, if not in their family business, they are nonetheless rising up through the ranks, learning different functions along the way, really on the ultimate way to being a more general manager, to borrow that phrase, where you've really got to think about everything, uh, as you do now as chairman. And um, could you, I don't know, enlighten us on other steps you took or other mentoring you may have had that over the years have enabled you to think holistically about the business, to think strategically where it's going, to understand all the functions with enough detail to be involved in them without necessarily running them? So what do you think?
1: Well, I've been fortunate to have a lot of, of mentors, a lot of really smart, capable people that, that, that I worked for and to, and to have, you know, roles of increasing re, re, responsibility. Um, uh, so, so, you know, there, there's, and, and, and there's nothing like getting, getting in and having the responsibility and making mistakes and, and, you know, f- figuring out what, what you, what you don't want to do and what doesn't work. Um, you know, um, but by the same token, you know, particularly, over the last 10 or 15 years, you know, I I really come to understand that what I really am, I'm an entrepreneur. I just work in a big family
0: business.
1: (laughs) And, and that's been, you know, it turns out that that's been incredibly useful because you've spent the last 10 or 15 years transforming our book content business. I mean, you know, when I took over, we didn't, you know, it was, it was called Ingram book group. But you know, when digital showed up, it's like, well, okay, dig, you know, digital content isn't a book. Hmm. What is it? It's content, right? And it's you know, it's a it's a small thing, but even changing the name starts to help people start yep. thinking differently about what you're doing. And and um, you know, I I, I mean, I, I've been very fortunate. There are a lot of very high quality people that that work that work at ingram and you know and i, and I will say this um you know it, it, you know you hear a lot of conversation now about um you know it's not just about the shareholders right it's such and and i'm sitting there shaking my head going my god it's never been or should never have been just about the shareholders i mean you know it should be about your employees it should be about your community i mean if you know a company my idea of a really good, important, relevant company is a, is a company that look that feels that they're responsible for all those pieces. Um, and you know not just to not just shareholder capitalism. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that being a piece of it and and there is no long-term company if you don't make money in, in, because you won't be around, right? Um, you know, unlike government and other things that never go away. I mean, businesses that don't make any money go away. Um, uh, so, but but I I find it shocking that the people that complain about that don't look around and see there 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 are companies like Ingram like Ingram Ingram Industries, you know, um, which is our parent company, and you know we live we're based in Nashville, Tennessee, but but and we care about you know the our employees and we care about our community and we care about our shareholders and you know, we care about all of it and yeah. and 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 guess what i mean it's we're we're better for caring about all of it
0: john this is great i'm going to remind our <laughs> listeners by the way that you listeners are tuned into leadership in action business radio series xm channel 132 uh, i'm your host mike useem and our guest today is john ingram chairman of ingram content group and Chairman of the Board of Directors of Ingram Industries. And John, back to the main thread of where we are uh, just now, um, I'll put my words in this. Uh, you need no lecturing to or hectoring by um, uh, some outside groups uh, to think about all your constituencies when you make decisions. Got to worry about the owners. Uh, by definition, you got to make money. It's a business. On the other hand, uh, employees have a lot to do with how successful you're going to be, not to mention customers and suppliers.
1: All of it. I mean, yeah. literally all of it. And, and you know, I mean, th- they all matter. And, and you know, I'm, I'm pleased to say that they're all part of our calculation when we decide to do something.
0: So where did that come from? Is this something you kind of brought into the company? It was already there. It's part of the DNA
1: it's it's very much of the dna i mean you know um i, I was I, I was raised in a, in affluence um and i was raised by parents who believed that to whom a lot was given or earned you know a lot was expected i mean it's yeah. you know it's, there's a lot of responsibility um if you have means and and capabilities to 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 share it um and and to to be thoughtful about about you know helping others that aren't aren't as fortunate and you know and I would say that a lot of those values are still there um and over the last probably you know 10 15 years we've had to add things like innovation agility <laughs> you know speed I mean the, the things sure. just to, to, to stay to stay relevant i, I you know um I, there was a, a point in time when there was um somebody who worked for me, who main focus was on short term profitability about you know his or her own you know annual bonus and I'm sitting here going that's not going to work for me because you know at some point you know that's not you know our company will stagnate uh, or worse and you'll leave and do something else and I'm going to be stuck with it uh, so you know uh, to me. One of my most important words is relevance, you know, how to be relevant, because you can forget about being profitable if you're not relevant. Good way to put it.
0: Uh, John, I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind reflecting on your career, it's it's different stages. And I wonder if you could pick out two incidents. One is uh, a moment that was a setback of some kind. And of course, every career is filled with setbacks. Every company, think about the last 12 months. Um, every company on earth has has felt the, um, the pinch of the last uh, 12 months. Anyway, if you could pick out something that was a, a kind of a setback from which you came back and walk through what you did to restore your sense of direction and maybe even self-confidence. And then on the other side of that, if you could reference, uh, again, briefly here, um, a moment when you seemed to feel just really good about what you achieved, that this was a kind of a breakthrough or an innovative moment. So sure. let's start with the setback and then over to the innovative moment.
1: Yeah, the setbacks. And, and unfortunately, failures and setbacks tend to be better teachers than success. Um, you never
0: forget them. I understand and You
1: don't forget them. Um, and you know, the, when you mentioned that, what popped into my mind was back in the late 90s, um, um, Amazon had had, you know, joined the, the the foray. You had Amazon online. You had Barnes and Noble. You had Borders. You had you had. There was more consolidation of customers um, as a wholesaler, and mm. you know, you you, you you wholesale does best when you've got lots of customers and lots of suppliers, and there and there was starting to be some fairly significant consolidation both in the in the publisher side and in the in the downstream side with with consumers and we actually kind of almost fell into a process um of, pot- of potentially selling uh, the our what was in our book group um it was really before print on demand had, had had kind of materially taken off and it worked out a deal to sell the sell the business for a lot of money to Barnes and Noble and um independent booksellers went berserk and and you know congress you know it, you would have thought it was the end of free thought um that the, uh which, which i'm saying is i believe a complete and total overreaction but but that's yeah. what it was and at the end of the day the ftc decided to block our transaction yeah. and i dis- i i had decided to get into it because it was a solution to kind of this like the the, the vice starting to close you know around you know, fewer customers, fewer suppliers, and we, you know, was, was looking, kind of looking down the road going, I don't know, you know, I don't know how we deal with that. And then the FTC comes in and says, you can't do it. Um, and not only have I made a bunch of customers really mad at me, um, you know, never been called worse things in my life, um, you know, by independent booksellers, and and we hadn't solved the problem. Hmm. <laughs> Yep. So so, you know, it, it, it was kind of like, you know, kind of I remember the day I think it was June 1st or 2nd of 1999 when we called the deal off. And you know, I was in I was in my general counsel's office and and, you know, he looked at me and he said, John, he said. Well, at least that was a heck of an experience and I said, yeah, Bill, an experience is what you get when you don't get what you want, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I but there wasn't any there wasn't any reason I mean there wasn't any use feeling sorry for ourselves. I mean, that wasn't going to solve the problem either. And so, I mean, it was kind of like, okay, pick yourself up and and start trying to figure out what are you going to do next. Yep. And right. and and that's what we did. We started building you know, building new plans. I mean, we, we, we ultimately had to shrink in order to grow again. And, and that was, and that's hard and that's not a whole lot of fun, um, in the whole scheme of things, but, you know, we just, you know, it kind of brings up a whole nother word perseverance. I mean, you know, sometimes you just got to persevere and, and and, and until you can, till you can, you get traction in, in, in new things. But, um, You know, it. um, You know, we we had a couple we had a couple of lean years, and 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 then kind of coming out the other side of it, print on demand started really working, um, and that that kind of gave me the cover within my own family to start reinvesting in digital, Uh, and and so you know there we started going again. It was like green shoots. Uh, We started you know planting seeds and and cultivating new crops and um you know and and i you know kind of moving to the other side you know yes 2020 was an incredibly difficult year for everybody and and so so many bad things happened but i will say in our as far as our company was concerned we had the best year we ever had hmm. financially um and you know we actually made our year end budget you know, a calendar year end by the end of July, which oh. is which is crazy. Never never experienced that before, and and it really was a culmination of of the, the the changes, the reinvention, the reinvestment in in new certain new services and things that all of a sudden, when when you know the world turned to peanut butter with the pandemic, the publishing industry needed these services. And we were there to provide them. And you know, thanks to all the people that worked for us, we just did a great job.
0: Hmm. Let me offer up a not a summary of what you said, but I'm going to pull out a theme of what you said. And that is we have to be ready to be resilient. Easier said than done, true. But the idea of comeback from a setback and being ready to... <laughs> Slap yourself in the face a couple of times and then get out the door and get back to work. Uh, it seems like a very good way to go. But the point I want to stress is it probably took you a year or two. I think you said it, a couple of years to really get back on your feet.
1: Yes. I mean, it's true. Um, and, you know, I don't want to, I mean, sometimes when, when something ends up being very successful, it's easy to kind of paper back over all the struggles. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and, and I always like to like pause and go back and say, okay, the struggle is real <laughs> and, you know, and it usually comes with, with a bunch of doubt and uncertainty and, you know, you know, sometimes you just got to hold on and, 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 and fig and figure it out.
0: And John, I think I know this. Um, the inspiration on your part to um, help the book get going came from a graduation speech at your high school. So, could you recount what happened and why you had the idea, in part as you prepared for that presentation?
1: Well, yeah, the, the, what you're what you're referring to is is I was invited to be the 140 some odd number commencement speaker at my high school um, about 10 years ago. And, um, you know, I, I really struggled to, to, to think I'm going, oh my goodness, you know, what about, what do I have to say that hadn't been said better 140 odd other times before? And, and it just so happened that, um, a couple months before I was supposed to give this speech, one of my dear friends out of the blue sent me the excerpts from a book called the top five regrets of the dying. It was a book that was written by a hospice nurse from Australia named Bronnie Ware, and it it had these you know she kept seeing these themes repeated, you know I wish I'd lived the life that was the right one for me, not some one somebody chose for me. You know I wish I'd worked so hard. I wish I'd stayed better connected to family and friends. You know I wish I'd had the, the internal strength to say what really mattered to me, and and finally you know I wish I'd I wish I'd allowed myself to be happier. And anyway, I took some of, some of those themes kind of weaving my life story at that point in time and, and created this speech. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I have no idea whether it, whether it affected one kid that was listening to it. Um, but it affected me a lot, um, Mm -hmm. and, and to really made me want to be very intentional about what I did with the rest of my life. And, um, and that's pretty much affected, you know, every major decision that I've, you know, made sense is, um, you know, to, great. To, to be intentional about.
0: It's great. John, I'm gonna go back for a second to a topic we raised and then I've got a new terrain we wanna get onto before our time is out. And that is I asked you to uh, briefly describe a moment when you had a setback and how you came back and, and we went through that. I also asked you to reflect on a moment where there was um, a a kind of more than an incremental change, some innovation or something that was rather significant in how the company worked. And you were responsible for bringing in that innovation or that different way of doing business. So could you briefly describe that? And then behind it, how did you know to do what you did that led that to be a successful innovation?
1: It's an interesting question I, what what comes to my mind was our whole process of developing print on demand um and hmm. um something that's become the largest part of our content group the largest and quite frankly the most profitable part of our of our co- content
0: group. and John before we go forward just briefly describe it to our listeners print print on demand
1: print- print- basically means that that rather than store a book physically, you store it digitally, and you you have a process to make it when when somebody orders one through m- multiple ways, and and really, I, I mean, I remember I remember the day it was. I think it was in 1995. I'm walking through a warehouse that reminisce one of our warehouses. Uh, it's kind of reminiscent of that last scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark when they're wheeling the ark in, in there with this cavernous, yeah. you know, amount of cardboard. I mean, you know, of, of, of boxes. But think about huge shelves of, of of books, and I'm sitting there talking to one of you know, guy that runs operation and purchasing, and I'm and I'm going, why in the world are we wallpapering the warehouse with books? I said, surely we we could do better. And i have been exposed to um, you know, I I'd, I'd seen kind of an early version of print on demand of, a, of machines that could um, that could make books one at a time. And I thought to myself, well, what I mean, that's what we should be, because because Ingram um, gets all these orders from from bookstores. and We have no idea what they're going to order from us. Right. So and so we do our best to predict the, to have the right stock in place. But it's never right. Right. And um, almost by definition, if it was right, we couldn't afford to have that much of it. Um, And so I thought, well, part of the solution to this is we'll 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 create an infinite supply by we'll we'll make it virtual. And that was a it's a simple thought. And and it's a powerful thought, Um, not so simple to to execute Um, and and, you know, took us a lot of time, you know, and. And 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 I would say that the, our print on demand has gone through. I would say there are three phases of it. The first phase was when we started, and it was John's cute little idea, and then in that cool and blah blah blah. And then there was a second phase when, a couple of years later, when we decided to invest a lot of money in it mm-hmm. to make it industrial strength, and it's also when digital was starting to kind of emerge on the on the on the scene. And Stephen King had written this novella called Riding the Bullet. And, you know, I mean, the, the media and the press were breathless with the idea of, you know, ebooks are coming and they're gonna take over the world. And I'm sitting here having to decide: do I, do I invest like twice the amount of money to create to, to create the, the, the capability to um, handle ebooks in in addition to the print on demand? And, and the short version is I thought. Okay, if this is going to be important, how can I not do this? I have to do this, and so I did. Um, Ebooks never went anywhere right then. POD was still kind of young, and 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 you know we needed to invest money; it wasn't making money. And and this was phase two of our print-on-demand business when it became John's problem. And what the hell are you going to do to fix it? Right? Okay. And that was a rather lonely couple of years. you know, kind of working through that, just grinding away, building this and 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 working on it. And then literally say three years later, um, it's clear print on demand's gonna work, it's starting to make money. And all of a sudden I start hearing words like our success. And I'm sitting there going, what do you mean, our? I mean, and and it really kind of bothered me for a little while until I until I just kind of figured out and got comfortable with the fact that I owned failure and we were going to share success, and to be honest, once I got comfortable with that, it's very powerful because because I I have used it multiple times since when you know when there's hand wringing about things and I'm like okay what are you worried about I said if this fails it's my my problem and 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 I know we can do it and let's you know quit worrying about you know it it reflecting on you. And the only thing that will reflect on you is, is, if it's successful, we'll all take credit for it. Totally.
0: Hey, John, i got a quick observation. I'm going to just remind our listeners about the show here. And that is, uh, so many of the guests on this program, we go back a couple of years now, have said, in essence, exactly what you've said. What, with the benefit of hindsight, looks like a really excellent idea, often came out of something That was uh, not necessarily mundane, but it was just like a moment you're walking through that warehouse, and an idea occurred to you to solve a very tangible, immediate problem. But as you expanded it out, it became one of the great innovations uh, in the industry. So with that as my uh, segue into uh, reminding everybody, this is Leadership in Action. We're on Sirius XM channel 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Mike Yuseem, and we're in... Active dialogue with John Ingram, chairman of Ingram Content Group. John, I'm going to shift the focus here for the few minutes that we have remaining to the fact that I think you brought a professional soccer team to Nashville, Tennessee. Correct. What what inspired that, and what did it take to do that?
1: Well, if I can go back, and I hope the listeners have have heard the part about the the. Speech that I ended up giving to my high school, um, um, you know, and how much I struggled with that, and how mm-hmm. it led me to want to be intentional. Because, I mean, with when I was evaluating this, um, there there were four or five there were four or five criteria that I looked at, and I really thought it was a fit. I thought, you know, I I think I can do this, and I think I I, I think it fits me to to to, to try to do this. And probably the final thing was, I'm not afraid to. If if it doesn't work, if I if we don't, you know, we were we were competing. Nashville, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. If you know, we were competing against eleven other cities, and it you know, it wasn't like little podunk places. I mean, these were you know big, you know, vibrant cities, and and I was like, well, I'm not I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to 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 try, and I'm not afraid to fail. But what I am, what I was afraid of, I was afraid that if I didn't try, I would regret it. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to that book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, oh, wow. I didn't want someday if I'm, you know, don't get hit by the beer truck. If, you know, if there is a moment of <laughs> reflection before the end, you know, I don't want this to be, I didn't want that to be a regret and say, oh, gosh, I wish I'd always, I wish I'd really had the gumption oh, wow. to go do that. And and, you know, lo and behold, I mean, you know, if it was a racehorse analogy, you know, half the field was, was, was more than halfway around the track before we got to the starting gates. Uh, but, but, you know, there were four or five key things to get done and we got them done and we, we won. We were, the, we were the one that Major League Soccer chose. And then, you know, then, it, then you get into the dog just caught the bus. I have no experience building or doing any of this. What the heck am I gonna do now? But then you know, you go back and you, you know, you you kind of go back and you you know reflect on, think about all the things in in my case that I've done over my life and all the things that you know have kind of survived and figured my way through, and you just say, okay, there are four or five, you know, key thing, you know, there are things that we need to get done, and we're just gonna, in essence, we're gonna cut the bus up and eat it a piece at a time.
0: Yep. John, just to reinforce the point, in another setting, we just had a person who was COO, Chief Operating Officer for a huge publicly traded company. And uh, she said she's got this rock bottom sense. You used almost the identical words that somehow she's going to work out the problems, solve the issues, even if it's completely non obvious right now how you're going to do it. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Okay. So if that sounds real familiar, Um, how did you develop that, um, call it self-confidence, that somehow you're going to work it out? It's going to take time, a lot of heavy lifting, but a solution is out there. You just got to get to it, even if you don't see it right now.
1: How did you get that? I think it comes from solving other smaller things along the way that help build build that sense that you know you have the capability to do it and and that you do have the confidence that you know, I'd use the phrase that that, you know, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger and ready to take on something yeah. bigger. And and, you know, and, and and at the same time, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I did it by myself because that's the farthest from the 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 truth. I mean, you, you you get smart, talented people that are that have experiences, knowledge, uh capabilities that you don't have and you put together a team. And and that's how you win.
0: Yep. Related to that, I believe you're very involved in the Nashville community at large. You serve on several boards, and much of that work is uncompensated and time consuming. And you could stay at home and watch a good Netflix series or read one of the books that you helped arrange to be. In the local bookstore, but instead you're giving time, you're you're often giving cash as well. So thinking about that in two ways. Wh- wh- why so serve? Innocent question. Well, why, why why serve? And then from serving in the community, whether on a board or in, a, in an advisory capacity, what do you actually get from that that actually supports what you're doing when you go to work every day at the business?
1: Well, I, th- I think first and foremost, um, that type of behavior was modeled for me and, and my brothers and my sister by my parents, um, you know, by, they were both philanthropic, they gave of their time and treasure, you know, mm. and and were very involved. So, so I mean, there was kind of almost an expectation and a sense of responsibility um, that, that that was what, you know, that that was part of you know, part of being successful was kind of an obligation to, to, to give back, Mm -hmm. um, broadly speaking. Um, And then there's a second part is that, you know, if it, particularly if you combine those thoughts with organizations or efforts um, about which you have passion. um, I mean, I I look at like the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, I, I mean, kind of, recognizing that I'm an entrepreneur, I just work in a big family business. I mean, that speaks to me. And you know, I, I kind of share that DNA. And and you know, to be able to help create and and sustain a place where anybody, whatever shape, color, background you are, can walk in that door and and get help with with you know the potential of actualizing, turning some idea into a into a business or whatnot. You know, helping helping make that possible. Selfishly, it feels good. Hmm. You know, so so um, I I I think I think people that that have the ability to give of their time and treasure and don't are really robbing themselves of something that's very special and I something know. that you know, that money can't buy. I mean, I mean, you know, money can't buy. A sense of well-being.
0: Totally, maybe the sense of well-being is a product of all the facets of life that we that we live. Uh, back to, to your reference to the uh, the five things that you maybe wish you had done with the benefit of a lot of hindsight on your life. Um, what do you wish you still will will do in the years ahead?
1: What do I wish that I still will do in the in the in the years ahead? I mean, th- there there are things, there are trout sh- streams and 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 uh, fishing flats and and things that have gone unexplored. Um, I mean, even something I was planning on doing in April um, with a dear friend of mine that that's recovering from from you know a, a blood cancer, you know, and something I want you know and. and I'd promised him that I, that we would go do until, you know, MLS scheduled some, some meetings that I weren't, wasn't expecting, you know? <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I do look forward to having a little bit more free time to go do some of the, some of the things that I put off um, while, you know, while I was doing, you know, building, bu- building the business and, 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 and making that more of a priority. But um but I don't have, a, I mean, I, I'd like to sit here and say that if, you know, if my time was up today, I'd be sad because there are more things I want to do. And, you know, okay. but, but I'm, I, you know, kind of back to the book about the top five regrets of the dying. I would hope that I wouldn't, you know, be tortured, you know, at the end by thinking, God, you know, I've just, I've wasted my life <laughs> um, and not done the things that were really um, authentic to who I am. I mean, I think, you know, um, you know, particularly over the last 10, 15, 20 years that that, you know, I've kind of been I've been authentically doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. But I think, you know, my higher power, whoever that might be, is is has has put me on this planet to 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 do. And and that's that that feels powerful.
0: Yep. Great. We're gonna sum up together in just a minute, but I've got one final question for you. And on some days, speaking very personally here, I've come to think of leadership as the art of bringing the future into the present. Here's where we want to be in five years, or maybe even 10. And given that, how do we make certain we get to that five or 10 years out? So bringing that future into the present vis-a-vis the company now, where would you like the company to be uh, five or 10 years out, and how are you going to help it get there?
1: Um where would I like Ingroup content to group to be in f- five or ten years? I'd like it to be a more robust um, services business. I, I, I would like to be more of a data services hmm. company. Uh, there, there's a lot I would like to do around um, enabling, not selling directly to consumers because, you know, I've, I've got customers, all around me, north and south of me, in the supply chain, that would frown on that very, very deeply. And and but but to but to create services that would enable them to do that. Um, you know, at, at the at the end of the day, Ingram Content Group is is successful because we help other people be successful. Mm. And and so, you know, um, that alignment is is terrific because it's exactly the way I want it to be. Um, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to be a company that that is successful by taking advantage of of this group or that group or you know, in a win lose where we win and you lose. Um, I, I'm I'm much happier um, because the w- the way our business works is is that we're successful by helping other our 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 clients and partners be successful. Yep. And you know what? Um, that feels good, and I think it's got a, a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of runway left.
0: Yep, it's got legs. John, I'm going to propose the following. Why don't you and I, in rapid succession, sum up our thinking in in very short statements, such that people who are listening to the program can reflect on this particular dialogue next week, next month, maybe a couple years out. Hopefully, they'll remember the program. In a way that can that can inform what they do. So I'm going to start, then over to you, back to me. We'll do that in a couple rounds. Going back to what you said early on, you did make reference to your own self-guidance to be very intentional. Seems like a really good point for anybody's leadership. Know what you want, be very intentional about trying to get it, turning vision into strategy into execution. I think there's a pretty good formula there that you referenced. So anyway, that's one theme I'd like to emphasize that I'm going to remember from our dialogue. How about one from you that you'd Um, like other people to remember?
1: I I would say relevance um, would be one. Is it, you know, uh, a lot of people focus on profitability. I focus on relevance because if you're relevant and you do, if you have great services for for people, they will be willing to pay for it.
0: Great. So here's number two from me. And it was raised by you in the last couple of minutes. A great way to make yourself successful, we all want that, is to help make other people successful first. So, John, back to you. One more from you.
1: Um, I have a saying, you know, people talk about being lucky. And 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 here's my definition of luck. My definition of luck is the intersection. Of preparation
0: with opportunity. Hmm. Well, if, let you're me
1: not, if you're not prepared, it doesn't matter. You know, you can't take advantage of the opportunity. But if it, you are prepared, you know you can take advantage of the opportunity. People say, "Oh, you're lucky." Well, okay, yeah, 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 but I was prepared. Yep,
0: totally. It reminds me of the chapter of a recent book by Jim Collins called "Great by Choice." He's, of course, the author of. Uh, yep. Good to great, but great by choice, published later. The last chapter is entitled Return on Luck. Same point. (laughs) Very same point. All right, John, just a quick question to begin to close things down here um, completely. For people who are really interested in Ingram or you or the book or maybe your major league soccer team, how do they find out about all the above?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, there are lots of of places. Well, I mean you know again as a b2b site ingram content group is not hugely well known i would say if you're an aspiring author uh we have a a, a service called ingram spark that can you okay. know it's a platform for for self publishing which is becoming a very bu- viable way um to publish um if if you're a fan of of, of soccer even if you're not uh, go to nashvillesoccerclub.com um and and root on the, the you know if you've enjoyed this do, you know, it would be a great honor uh, for you to consider um, Nashville Soccer Club as your MLS uh, club of choice.
0: Awesome. John, thank you for joining us on the program.
1: Thank you very much, Mike. My pleasure.
0: All right. Great to have you here. Uh, just want to remind everybody that our guest has been John Ingram. want to thank our producer, Patty Hall, for putting this program together. And we have an outstanding sound engineer as well, Chris Took. I'm Mike Yusem, and you've been listening to Leadership in Action, business radio powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, channel 132. Stay well. See you soon.
1: For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.